In 2008, Christopher Nolan's continuation of the Batman saga was truly groundbreaking for its time, becoming the first comic book movie to cross the $1 billion mark while also receiving eight Oscar nominations, the most ever up until 2019's Joker. Ultimately, The Dark Knight would go on to win two of those Oscars, one for Best Sound Editing and the other a posthumous Best Supporting Actor Oscar for the masterful performance of Heath Ledger's Joker. The Dark Knight immediately entered the conversation of Best Comic Book Film of All Time, Best sequel of all time, best Batman film of all time, and for some, best film of all time, where it remains to this day 14 years later. In 2020, this film was added to the National Film Registry for its cultural, historical, and aesthetic significance. All of this in a Batman movie? There has to be something more going on here than just explosions and maniac clouds. So today, we're taking a look under the cowl to see The Dark Knight. What's it about? I'm your host, Ricardo Boy Diaz. And I'm Seth Crow. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, a show where two aspiring creatives aim to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves, seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth, how are you doing today? I'm Batman. No, you're not. I'm Batman. <laughs> no, you're not. Look at me. <laughs> no, you're fucking not. <laughs> no, I'm doing okay today. <laughs> I just screwed up that intro eight times, but it's good. It's okay. I mean, we've, we we screwed this whole podcast up yeah. once. Yeah. In full disclosure, everybody, um, we recorded this last week, and then right as soon as we were done, I realized I forget I forgot to hit record <laughs> on our audio. Oh, wait, are we recording now? We are. Absolutely. I'm looking at it. I'm staring at it. Let's I'm stare at it. I'm staring at it right now. It right. absolutely is recording. If we're obsessive compulsive, oh, we might God. have a time with this. <laughs> oh God! It's good though. I think it's. Uh, I think it. Sh- I think it um, taught us a lesson. It did um, teach us a lesson, and and I think it, it's a lesson relevant to the conversation. So uh, I think we were leaving out a part of what we talked about last time that I think we need to go into in further detail. So I think it worked out. Yeah, we were even we even joked about oh maybe we'll do this one again maybe we'll do a part two because there's so much to talk about. Well. The universe was like, yeah, you will. Lucky us. <laughs> so, yeah, full disclosure, we've already recorded – well, not recorded. We've already done this uh, conversation once. Um, but, you know, I don't remember exactly what we said. So it's yeah, not like and, we're going to be retreading here. And there's so much to talk about with this movie that yeah. it, you could you could do two podcasts and never talk about the same things. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about The Dark Knight. This was my pick. Uh, Batman is coming out, the new Chris, uh, the new. Uh, Robert Pattinson Batman's coming out, so I thought it'd be cool to take a look back at like the most successful Batman movie there's ever been. I'm stoked um, about this new Batman movie. Are you? I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm. I don't know why. I'm not sold. I I think Robert Pattinson's a. Uh, I think he's a really good actor. I think uh, he's underrated. Oh, yeah, that's for true. sure. Um, and I think if anybody can bring character to this role. It, it's going to be him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, the reason he got cast was for this movie called Good Time. Yeah. Um, that A24 produced, and it just showed a whole new side of the guy. And uh, I'm stoked. I think uh, I'm, I'm interested to see this new Batman world. So, mm-hmm. I, I I don't know why. I don't know why I'm not super hyped on it. Maybe maybe the like recent DCEU like, harsh my vibe on Batman in general. Yeah. 
Like, like, no offense, it was. I don't think this is Ben Affleck's fault in any way, shape, or form. I, I think Ben Affleck was a fine Batman. I thought he was good. I thought they would have written him better. They never. He never got his own movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he 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 was he was in Dawn of Justice and then and and Justice League, but he never got his own movie. Which I, I don't know. Maybe it would have been different, but like definitely like the the whole DCEU debacle like really harshed my vibe on on Batman fanaticism. Yeah. If that makes sense. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk about Dark Knight today and we're going to reflect on uh, what's going on in there and what are its themes. But first, let's talk a little bit about how did it come to be? Um, so I did a little bit more digging from the last time we discussed this stuff and found a couple of more interesting things about this film's production. Not much, um, but uh, a few things that I thought were actually a little bit interesting. Um, so this film is uh, directed by Christopher Nolan, uh, who you guys may know is also the director of Memento, Inception, The Prestige, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet. Uh, very talented director, very, very famous, popular director. Uh, and this film was written by him and his brother, Jonathan Nolan, who also wrote Memento, The Prestige, Interstellar, and Reminiscence. Uh, so very talented uh, family of <laughs> filmmakers, for sure. Um, yeah, uh, some interesting things about this movie. Uh, so obviously this movie is a sequel to Batman Begins, which came out in 2005. Uh, this movie was kind of, they brought on Nolan to do multiple films. So, uh, from the very beginning, this kind of franchise was planned out, uh, as far as like, oh, we're going to do more than one movie. And obviously the first one was successful enough. Uh, but some interesting things that I found, uh, a lot of things we're talking about Heath Ledger's Joker and the performance and things like that. Like there's so much information about like stories and anecdotes about how he was on set and things like that. Um, but like some cool things that I found, uh, so in the writing process, uh, in developing the uh, character of the Joker, Nolan actually brought on uh, Jerry Robinson as one of the uh, – as a consultant who is one of the co-creators of the original Joker character, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, so he brought the originator of the character on to, to consult on the development of this character in this iteration, which I thought was very interesting. Um because they were going back to kind of a, a more original look at what the Joker was uh, in its original conception. Um, uh, this film was also one of the first films to shoot on IMAX cameras. It is the, it, they shot with four uh, IMAX cameras. There were only four in the world at that time. They were huge, big, heavy, and loud and expensive. And they broke one during oh, wow. the uh, one of the car chase scenes. So this is the first film to be shot on IMAX and they, this is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> uh, but I wonder the, if there, oh, go ahead. I just wonder if there are any interviews out there with Heath Ledger about this character. Oh, I'm, sh- I'm sure. This, I mean, a lot of this movie's it, conversation surrounds around Heath Ledger's Joker. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it is truly a transcendent performance, and I think it's one of the reasons why this movie is is so good. He's a phenomenal. I mean, yeah. we we mentioned last movie. time, yeah, that like this movie is a little bit bland when when Joker's not on the screen. Yeah, and so I, I just I, I've never like looked up his comments about playing the character, mm-hmm. and like you know, since he passed, I, I just wonder if there's well, any... so it, maybe there might not be that much because. He passed away so recently after stop, like finishing filming. Like yeah. they didn't get to do like the 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 media uh, 
tour, you know, like the, uh, yeah. what's it called? The press tour. He didn't get to do yeah. any of that because he had passed away before. Like he just finished, like they said, he had just finished all his principal photography and like, and like post-production stuff. So like he was done with the film, but like they weren't anywhere close to being done. So I don't know how much press he did for the character, to be honest. I mean, I, I like, it's a shame, you know, yeah. like, I mean, I mean, it's a shame he died, of course, but it's also mm-hmm. a shame, like, we have no perspective on this great performance, if that's the case. No. That's true. I, I've never even looked. I mean, you feel like, you think you would have seen those clips a million times if they existed. Yeah, yeah Because I feel like people would reference them all the time. And I, so I don't think they do, to be honest. Yeah, yeah I'm going to have to look that up after this. Yeah, I'm curious as well. Um, one of the most interesting things about this film that I thought was so funny is they 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 really pushed into like a viral marketing type of thing. So there's two very, very strange ways they marketed this film that I thought were very, very funny. So the first one is uh, they had this company uh, send cakes to, to different like uh, news and media outlets. And this cake had a cell phone in it. And so it would vibrate. And it had wires sticking out of it. So one news company thought legitimately thought it was a bomb, oh, wow. and, and thought it was a ter- it was a terrorist attack. Yikes! <laughs> yeah, so there was like a ooh, oops. So that's one. And then the second one was at San Diego Comic Con. They had a bunch of people dress up as the Joker, and they like set up like a scavenger hunt basically, and so leading people through like San Diego, and they would all they all ended up in this one place and then a van pulled up, took one fan out of the crowd, put them in the van and drove away. And then they uh, released like a, a a fake news uh, uh, announcement that the Joker had been killed and uh, uh, it had like a, uh, they did like a whole photo shoot with this fan as the Joker being, having been killed and stuff like that. Uh, And he had a little playing card on him and said like, see you in December kind of thing. It's like a very weird yeah, marketing well, I mean, this, when did the uh, Batman uh, Batman theater shooting happen? Uh, well, I mean, obviously after the the yeah. film was out. So this was before the film was out. This no, is a promotional. No, yeah, no way that they could do this anymore. No, that's <laughs> what I'm saying, yeah. man. Uh, I'm gonna look up when this this shooting happened. Um, uh, in Aurora. Uh, when did that is? I mean, it's 2008. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, like it's like I also was like, ooh, yeah, this is a little. Uh, where is it? Oh, it was actually not for this movie. So Batman, the first Batman. It was for the. It's for this. It's for the third one. Oh, okay. It was okay. 2012. Gotcha. Makes sure makes sense why Jared Leto later had to like you know mail condoms as opposed what? to. <laughs> Here's the thing though, Heath Ledger didn't do that. That was the that was yeah, the, the film's marketing. Yeah. yeah, people who were making those decisions. It's like you don't, don't take that upon yourself, Jared Leto. Who do you think you are? Got to get in character, bro. <laughs> He's terrible. <laughs> but anyway, so those are just some of like the interesting things that went in. So like the marketing of this movie was really interesting. It was technologically groundbreaking at the time. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. Again, the, as far as like how this film was developed, it it was kind of on rails. 
you know, like once Batman Begins was a hit, it's kind of like, okay, we're just chugging along and we're following the path, you know? Yeah. And I mean, when you say technical, uh, like that's really, I think, I mean, this is, that's what holds up, you know, mm-hmm. is like the gadgets and like the Batmobile. The Batmobile is the coolest Batmobile that's ever been. Yeah. And it's the, bat, like, the bat pod. Yeah. The bat, the, little bat cycle. Yeah. yeah. The bat bike. It's the bat bike. Yeah. You know, uh, and to see it like shoot out like a freaking like, like yeah. Tonka toy or something or not a Tonka toy, uh, like a little, you know, like a, a hot wheel, like a hot wheel. Like that's like, it's like grounded in your childhood, but brought to life, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, the, the sky hook stuff, like all of that stuff. Do you know that's real, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a legit CIA thing that they like really like I looked it up because like in the movie, like Lucius Fox says, like, this is like a thing to see I did. I looked it up. It legit was real. And they said it was it was less violent feeling than opening a parachute. Like the way it like would grab you was like felt less jarring than opening a parachute. Wow. So like it was like smooth, apparently. (laughs) That I mean, yes. They did they did a phenomenal that's like what this series uh of batmans did so mm-hmm. well was like taking batman and making it real you know yeah. like making it something that you bought and believed as long as you had enough money that you could do you know yeah they really hammer that in that he's very very rich and he can develop anything he wants yeah, <laughs> yeah. they make that very clear in these movies for sure um but oh, uh do, like uh, i i did want to say like what did not hold up in this film mm was uh the fight sequencing like Mm -hmm. it's so slow compared to what we see now you know Mm -hmm. like i mean it's trying to go for that rawness that john wick has but it's like a third of the speed oh yeah john wick is very fast but it's like it's it's like raw like this like the batman movies like yeah like it's like real fighting Mm -hmm. but they've figured out how to like film it way more Mm-hmm. And like way more exciting, way way there's mm-hmm. way more energy. Like well, that's what watching. 14 years of filmmaking will do. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You'll perfect something. It's strange. It's strange how that works. You know, like the mm-hmm. like the fight with fighting, especially it just the styles change over time, and it's so it, it fits. It like you, you have it, it has to keep getting better, mm-hmm. or or you immediately know it's dated. It's it's weird. <laughs> Or is it looked dated because it did progress? Like if it had stayed like that to me, would we be like, wow, that still holds up? Because that's still yeah. how we see fights today, you know? Is it looked dated because we have progressed from there? Yeah. Who knows? Chicken and egg. But uh, yeah, so that's why this film is here. That's how it came to be. Uh, it, it was being developed right away. I mean, obviously Batman's one of the biggest characters in the world. Uh, so – they they are going to be making Batman movies till the end of time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, so, but he's also like he he's is he a character? He's a symbol. He's not a character. He's a when, symbol. When, when <laughs> Batman's on the screen, it doesn't really matter. Like like that's what we you know that's what we're saying about this movie. It's like it was so much more interesting to see Christopher Nolan or not Christopher Nolan uh, Christian Bale as bruce wayne in this film that's like really Mm -hmm. where the acting is on his part and it's not even that great but Mm -hmm. and then it's like if heath ledger's not on the screen it's like you said it's kind of a stale film yeah batman as a (laughs) as a personality 
like there's never been a Batman that has a lot of personality. Well, Ben Affleck's Batman had a little bit of personality in his Batman. I think uh, persona. Uh, uh, Kiefer Sutherland's Batman had personality. Kiefer Sutherland, not Kiefer Sutherland. What is the guy's name? Keith, guy that guy that was Birdman. What's the guy's name? Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. I always get them confused because of the case. Michael Keaton's Batman. I was like, Kiefer Sutherland was Batman? When did I miss this? Michael Keaton's Batman had had personality. Fair enough. Uh, But yeah, that's how this film came to be. Uh, But that's not exactly what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about what's it about. But before we get into that, we have to refresh ourselves as to the plot of this movie. Or at least the general story that this movie is telling. Let us judge the summary Yes. Summary judging time. <clears throat> I did IMDb in the last one we did. Should I do Rotten Tomatoes this time? Just sure. For sure. A difference? Just to see. If I remember correctly, the, the, the IMDb one was pretty straightforward. Let's see if the Rotten Tomatoes one throws us for a loop at all. All right. Here we go. <clears throat> I don't know why I cleared my throat so early. Here we go. With the help of allies Lieutenant Jim Gordon and DA Harvey Dent, Batman has been able to keep a tight lid on crime in Gotham City. But when a vile young criminal calling himself the Joker suddenly throws the town into chaos, the caped crusader begins to tread a fine line between heroism and vigilanteism. Okay. That's better. Thank you, Rotten Tomatoes. It's yeah. a little bit more descriptive. Yeah. It, yeah. More specifics for sure. And it gets at the, I think, at the themes better. Heroism, vigilanteism. Like yeah. what is a hero versus what is a vigilante? Yeah. Uh, so Seth, it's that time. Uh, what's it about? Well... I have actually, I actually, uh, so within this past week. Have you amended your thoughts? Uh, I, it's not, I haven't amended my thoughts, but I've actually come up with a, uh, you know how on Facebook they send you those memories? Yeah. Well, I, I wrote something a long time ago that I think is the theme of this film and it's a phrase, uh, and it, it popped up on my Facebook this, this week mm-hmm. and I was like, oh no, that's, that's the theme and it is. It is not that you do good. It is that there is good at all. Okay. So I think that is the core theme of this film. Explain yourself. So. No, no, no. Explain yourself from you. No, I'm just kidding. Explain yourself from when you posted that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't even know when I posted that. I was like, you know. I'll write stuff on Facebook and that no one likes, but it's nice to it's nice to get reminded about it. I use I use uh, I, I use the Facebooks, uh, the Twitters, and things as kind of like my own personal log of like of phrases and. Um, <laughs> it's just the way you said it. It's really <laughs> sad. You know, I write things on Facebook that no one likes. And, uh, <laughs> It's like, oh, that's so sad. Uh, but that popped, posted, pop, popped up on my memories, and it, it it rang true for this, I think. Um, I think, so, 
you know, I we kind of mentioned this in the last recording, but there's a lot of similar themes in this as there were to the Oriental Express podcast we did and mm-hmm. uh, how right and wrong um, can be blurred. And the truth is that um, you can't ever actually know what's right and what's wrong. And um, if, if good things can cause bad things and bad things can cause good things, then uh, we're just floating in a um, an abyss of chaos, and mm-hmm. uh, the Joker's right, right? Mm-hmm. So, like that's kind of that's the Joker's perspective is that uh, you really don't have any control over anything, and mm-hmm. um, might as well lean into that and live life with no rules. Where you have Batman, who is the antithesis of that, and mm-hmm. his life is rules. You know, he's he is like, I mean, they're both mentally ill. We need to preface that, but like, this is, we'll go back to that. Just <laughs> we'll go back to their psycho psychology here in a minute. But, um, Batman is all rules. And, but I mean, there are things that you do in life when you, and you follow the rules and it causes bad things to happen, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or, I'm trying to think of a, a specific example, like with government or politics, where they were trying to do the right thing and the wrong thing happened. Um, maybe we could say like uh, Afghanistan, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, they were trying to help over there, but eventually had to pull out anyway. And now Taliban's in charge. Like mm-hmm. that's a that's a very like thin example, but I'm just trying to. You know, we could sit here and think about it, but so really what matters is it's not what you do. It's that you believe there is good to be done mm. and you're trying to, you're, you're, you have to believe in good for good to be done essentially. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's that hope, that intention that keeps people good. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. So you're saying the hope is more important than the presence of good itself, almost. It, it, the hope of good is is more important than the action of doing good. Mm-hmm. Like you, you want to do good, but there's no way to know. There's no way to know that you are right. doing good. So right. it's the, it's really the intention. It's really the hope of good. Right. Well, and then you even talked about their unintentional consequences. Yeah. You know, like. For example, uh, something in this movie – so Dark Knight takes place about less than a year after the events of Batman begins. So Batman has only been around for not even a full year at this point in the world of this film. And they themselves talk so much about the the uh, appearance of Batman has caused things to – simultaneously get better but also simultaneously get worse in that because batman rose up to like really crack down on crime in gotham crime has gotten concentrated yeah as in it's not as like oh like wishy-washy there's a few like like thieves and criminals and and this not around it's like no we're boiling down to just the baddest of the bad and the baddest of the bad are getting more and more desperate and more and more reactive 
to Batman. And Batman himself is creating more characters like himself mm-hmm. on the other side. You know, right. like by him wearing a mask, it's given other people courage to wear masks. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just like, I mean, heroes and vigilantes mm-hmm. essentially, but the, but sometimes the heroes that are trying to do it shouldn't be doing it. You mm-hmm. know, like we have these fake Batman that are running around with guns, you know, mm-hmm. and that's like part of Batman's core is that he doesn't kill people. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So for them to be running killing, around, killing in his, in his brand, basically yeah. for lack of a better term, it's under it's, his, his banner. It's defaming Batman. Yeah. You know? And, and, and there's that there is that awesome line though of like where the one of the vigilantes, you know, asked Batman, like, why like why do you get to get to be the hero? Like what's the difference between you and me? I'm not wearing hockey pads. Yeah. And that's a good <laughs> that's a good joke, but at the same time, like morally, what makes what makes Bruce Wayne morally more in the right than this guy? Yeah, Which is I mean, the fact that he has money. Yeah, I mean, well, so okay, so uh, that's, a weird, that's a weird type of thing to say. Like, oh, only the rich can affect can affect change and have is, the right to do anything about it. This is very relevant to like mm-hmm. some things going on in the past year. Like, I mean, Kyle Rittenhouse, right? Like, like yeah, what, like Kyle Rittenhouse was a vigilante. Did that take place in Colorado too? I don't remember where. I think it was. I don't. I don't remember exactly where. Not important. Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah, but but I mean, like the point is, Kyle Rittenhouse shouldn't be running around as a seventeen-year-old with a gun, mm-hmm. right? Like, regardless of like how you believe it all went down, you know, like I, like I like whatever. The mm-hmm. fact is, this seventeen-year-old kid took it upon himself to go out with a gun and play vigilante, mm-hmm. and. So, so, I mean, who should be doing that? You know what I mean? Um, so they're, they're in itself lies a moral quandary, mm-hmm. you know, like Batman, Batman. Okay. So now we're getting into their psychology. Like yeah. the, the <laughs> Batman shouldn't be doing that. He just can afford to do it well, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and this is where, so I said this last time but I think it does need to be repeated. I think Batman and the Joker have the same psychological makeup. They just have come from different circumstances. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this, this is what we did not talk about last time that I think is um, important to talk about. And it comes there. Both of their perspectives come from a need for control. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's how, it's how they um, approach gaining that control, mm-hmm. right? So um, Batman is using his intelligence and his money um, for good. And he thinks as long as he remains in these rules for good, he will manca- maintain control. Whereas mm-hmm. the Joker believes there are no rules. So as long as he can prove that rules don't apply to him he's in control Mm -hmm. but really they're both wrong Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and you 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 have to be able 
to give up your stringent principles to a degree, mm. like you have to have them and you have to let go of them because they're both, both are going to be proved wrong in your life. You hit on something very interesting and, and it, this idea of rules. I mean, I mean in this film, the ideas of chaos versus order are very prevalent. Yeah. You know, there, there's – even though Batman is trying to present order, right? He's trying to, to gain order. Uh, he does it in a way that's chaotic. Yeah. You know, like they, there's the moment where the Chinese businessman that's holding all the mob's money leaves the country because he – because China doesn't extradite – won't extradite, Right. Yeah, uh, and there's, there's no jurisdiction for the police to go and get him. So he thinks he's safe. Batman operates outside of law and order. He does something kind of chaotic. He goes and he gets the guy himself. Like so, Batman, while trying to create order, does it in a chaotic way. Well, they like, both have ba- Batman causes chaos. Well, they, they sure. both have god complexes, right? Yeah. They are the extremes of megalomania. Mm-hmm. You know, like Batman thinks he. Like thinks he knows better than everyone, mm-hmm. and he's so tied to his principles that usually he does, but he doesn't always. No, he's still human. You know, mm-hmm. Batman the symbol might not be, but the human definitely is. And we saw mm-hmm. a lot of the humanity in, of 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 Bruce Wayne in this film. I mm-hmm. think that's one thing they did a really good job of is show is showed show it was shown that. Bruce Wayne is very fallible. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we get that a lot through the kind of undercurrent that he's tr- doing all this to get Rachel. So so it's very clear that Batman is still in love with Rachel. Like he's, oh, yeah. he's keeping tabs on her. And and a lot of his motivation throughout this movie is he doesn't want to be Batman anymore. Not for only the fact that it's taking a toll on him physically and mentally. Um but also, Rachel told him in the previous movie, like, I can't be with you while you're Batman. I just can't. So a big part of his motivation to no longer be Batman is hoping that he can then be with Rachel. And so he's looking for somebody to, to replace him as far as, like, in the public consciousness as a symbol of hope and as a symbol I. of good. Harvey Dent. Exactly. And I was just getting ready to go into Harvey Dent here. So Harvey – Again, is we're talking about principles and order. Harvey is the and the is the epitome of those tenets. He is the DA of Gotham. He is what they call their their white knight because he's just so good and he is just so focused on justice, right? And and fairness and balance. He is trying to put away these criminals in the most legal, ethical way possible. He is all order. But he's uh, not Batman. But he's not Batman. <laughs> exactly. And and we see we see so I think in the scene where he's about to go so when Bruce Wayne is about to reveal that he's Batman, right? Mm-hmm. We have Harvey Dent up there uh, about to let it happen and then he Harvey Dent kind of like says that he's Batman. He does say that he's Batman. Mm-hmm. And it stops Bruce Wayne, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's two things going on here. So first of all, it allows Bruce Wayne to see an avenue where he might be able to catch the Joker, mm-hmm. right? Which justifies his own pride in proving that he is Batman, that mm-hmm. Harvey Dent – he doesn't want Harvey Dent to be Matt, Batman. No. He wants Harvey Dent to be Harvey Dent, the White Knight, 
mm-hmm. and and Batman to be held up as this image, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's actually really nice antithesis to the end of the film, if you think mm-hmm. about it. Like it's making him shatter his own idol. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. It, it, a lot of this film is, and we, we, we're getting into it with this idea that Batman's motivations, his humanity is seeps through in this one a little bit more. He's not as noble as you, as Batman might be thought to be because he's, he's trying to make Harvey Dent this symbol of good so that Batman can go away. Yeah. And it, it, partially because that's maybe a better way of doing it, less chaotic, you know, like less vigilanteism, more within the rules of like the, what the world thinks is correct having a, a district attorney be this, this symbol of good, but also because secretly he's trying to steal Harvey Dent's girl. Yeah. So he's trying yeah. to be like, okay, you be the, you be the symbol that everybody wants. And I can go and be with this woman that I love that you also are in love with. So like, there's a little bit of moral corruption there. Not a whole lot. I mean, you know, it's human and you're right. He's like, he definitely does not want Harvey Dent to be Batman. Cause he's like, Harvey Dent has to be something separate. As soon as people think that Harvey Dent is actually Batman, this all my whole plan goes to shit. Because yeah. that means Batman still has to exist. Yeah. Was Harvey Dent gonna be like I'm Batman, but I'm not gonna be Batman anymore? Like, that doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I'm, I don't know. I'm I'm going down this thought trail of like. But also because Batman's but they're supposed to arrest Batman, right? The whole thing is like he says I'm Batman and he, he gets arrested. So yeah. like, if you say you're Batman and get arrested and go in like. For argument's sake, let's say like things go how they would in like the real world if a vigilante got arrested, right? Yeah. He would go to jail. He would go to prison. Then what is Bruce Wayne supposed to do? He's, he's going to create a new character? He's, all his yeah. stuff is Bat-branded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he definitely doesn't want Army Dead to be Batman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, man, uh, it's – I don't know why I just went this, I went down this like thought trail of what it would be like to actually um, be Batman uh, to be Bruce Wayne and have created this symbol for yourself. That is so rigid. Oh yeah. You know, like Batman has hard lines, hard lines. And you're constantly trying to live up to, uh, this rigid standard mm-hmm. that you set for yourself. I, I know the weird thing is, is like, I know people like this in my life, right? Mm-hmm. Like I love, I, I know, uh, a lot of people who, um, who are very, they have their own principles, they have their own rules and they can never live up to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or, or even just because they live up to them doesn't mean that uh, they see any fruit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I think that's in- I-, I think that's interesting. Like I don't know why my brain went there just now, but like, but then you have the Joker, mm-hmm. right? Who is his only rule is that there is no rules, mm-hmm. which is a, a contradiction. Is a which yeah. no wonder no wonder it leads to madness. Mm-hmm. You know, how can there the rule be? There are no rules. <laughs> if yeah. there are no rules, yeah. is it is it the, that 
it, by definition mean there's sometimes a rules? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So like, of course he's crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you can't, you know. Even saying that, even saying that, is like definition of crazy, you know. Yeah. Like you, you start there, you're screwed, <laughs> you know. Like. <laughs> So, uh, there, there are no rules. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like n- not, not, it's not, it's, it's nihilism. Um, and I know people like that too, you mm-hmm. know, like I know people that are total nihilists and they're, they're very depressed, you know, like very, very depressed. You and, think nihilism uh, would make people feel free? Like, no. Yeah, I don't Ex- think so. existential dread. <laughs> it, it drains uh it it drains the soul, you know what yeah. I mean? And uh I feel like I'm tipping over into the self-reflection here. Uh no, is there anything <laughs> Oh well so I, I I uh so I want to talk about this idea that we're getting to about the the differences here between Batman and Joker. And we really get a chance to see because we talk about Batman and his hard lines, right? Batman gives himself very specific yeah. boundaries, right? And the whole thing that Joker's trying to do throughout this film is push people past their boundaries, right? He's like, I'm going to press the right button that's going to make you break your your rules. Yeah. The rules that you – the illusion of the rule happens. that you think you have. This is what happens when an immovable object meets an unstoppable force. Right, right. So, so Joker is an agent of chaos. He is. He's. He's just like I'm going to find whatever it is is going to tip you over to breaking whatever code you think you have. Your code yeah. is. He basically is like you're full of shit. He's like yeah. you are. If you think that you have boundaries, you don't. And so he does this through manipulation through violence through through trickery and we see it a lot with obviously batman and harvey dent uh with batman he he's trying he knows batman has this rule about killing people or at least he he kind of starts to pick up on the fact that batman doesn't kill anybody um and he throughout the throughout the film he's trying to get batman to kill him in a way he's like, like there's the scene where they're doing that chase where uh, Harvey Dent's been arrested. They're transporting him uh, to holding, and the Joker comes and tries to kidnap and kill best, Harvey Dent. Best action sequence scene. in the film. Best so good, so good. Um, and uh, at one point, Batman crashes uh, Joker's truck. Joker gets out. Batman's running him down, and Joker's standing there in the middle of the street, just going, "Come on." Do it. Yeah. He wants Batman to break I want you it. to hit me. I want you to hit me. Yeah. He wants Batman to do it because he doesn't really care about his own life. Not truly. He really doesn't. He well, wants to take down Batman. That's in, that's that's a very interesting – it's very interesting that his own – like he just – by him not dying, it actually completely disproves – his principles exactly which which is like strange because it's almost like a he a a desire to live in a weird way Mm -hmm. like he wants to die but if he dies he can't keep going so it's like it's this again this paradox Mm -hmm. like yeah well that's why like you said it's why he's crazy 
he's crazy. His it doesn't make full like there's there's things that make sense in his philosophy, but also when you start to like really look at it, it's like oh you're insane. Like yeah. for, for legit, like there's so many contradictions in what you say. Like sure, you can like zoom in on something and you can find what you're what he's talking about with this idea of like. Well, for me, for me, my what I got out of this film the most, and kind of touching on like what my personal uh, interpretation of this film is, this this idea of who are we in the face of adversity? How wh- what are our at what point do we do we falter? Right. Yeah. Well, to play Joker's advocate here, okay. No. <laughs> to play Joker's advocate, I mean, I it if you let yourself it's easy to fall into the Joker's mindset, you know? Mm-hmm. And like a lot of the things he said in the interrogation scene, which I think is the best scene in the whole film um, is true. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the lines about um, uh, people are only as good as the, they allow themselves as they, as society allows themselves to be, you know, like mm-hmm. it is societal's it's society's structures that force you to be good. You're, you're conditioned to be good. And not only that, good is privilege, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm not saying it's impossible to um, to be good if you're poor, but it's mm-hmm. a whole lot easier to be good if you're rich. If you're getting food on the table, if you're, mm-hmm. you have everything you need, like you're, well, you're gonna. You're well, gonna all you have to do is is look at look at crime rates in specific areas, yeah. right? Like, what are crime rates in affluent neighborhoods? They're not zero. They're low. Right. Yeah. You know, and like white collar crimes, a thing, of course, like rich people commit crimes, um, but not the same kind of crimes that like a poor neighborhood does, yeah. you know, like I mean, if you have like, to steal food to eat, you right. know what I mean? And uh, when, and then, when life puts pressure on you, you can only, you know, people break. Yeah. Yeah. Less pressure, less reason to break. And then something else he said that was just very, I think, poignant was, you know, uh, some cops kill some gangbangers. Nobody cares. You blow up a bus full of soldiers. You know, people expect that. But you kill one little mayor, you know, like one politician dies. Everybody's up in arms. Mm -hmm. But these soldiers who you expect to die, you know, these poor people that uh, have created essentially a street union <laughs> like to try to get what they need like and, and a bunch of cops shoot them you know no no like well, they deserve it you know what mm-hmm. i mean and so like i think i think the joker once i mean truthfully it almost like it's almost like he wishes he wants good mm-hmm. i think underneath it all he at some point he wanted things to be right, mm. you know, but he just gave up on it because he can't see it. And so that's mm. what I mean by Joker's advocate. Like, like it's so easy for the world to, to break you, you know, mm-hmm. like there's so much crap in this world that's hard. And the Joker just was like, I, I think tired of fighting. So he just went the other way mm. where Bruce is the opposite. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. It is the, the the this film plays so much so so much with this idea of these tipping points, right? Like Bruce Wayne, while very rich, had a tipping point 
it was in his childhood, you know, when uh, uh, a mugger killed his parents. That was his tipping point. He he tipped, right? He yeah. went down a – at least from the beginning of Batman Begins, went down a rough path. Yeah. Um, it, take, it took him a long time to get to this idea of like trying to in, reinstill order and good. Like it took him basically his entire life to get back to this point. Yeah. Which is interesting. But yet he's still susceptible to falling back into that darkness. Yeah. Right? He's very susceptible to it. Uh, and and we see the same thing with Harvey Dent. Harvey Dent, we don't know what his like life story is or anything, but he's the district attorney. He he was a, a an internal affairs investigator in the Gotham Police Department. He nothing has caused him to have to push back all that much. You know what I mean? Yeah. He he he's moving along through his life and, and not had to compromise his morals. And he's a little bit arrogant about it. He's a little yeah. bit self-righteous about it. We see it in that trial scene where he's trying to, uh, you know, put away one of the uh, one of the heads of the Marconi crime family, yeah. right, or the uh, the one of the one of the mob families in the in the city. And the guy tries the the witness tries to shoot him, and it doesn't work. It fails. But uh, he, you know, he makes a joke, and he like very much not phased by it. Yeah, you know, which is interesting. He. He thinks himself to be bulletproof. We see that again when he's putting away all those criminals after they had this like big like uh, like mass uh, oh, uh, gosh uh, what's the word I'm looking for mass uh, arraignment yeah. for all for all these criminals like 500 something criminals they said uh, and uh, the mayor's like he's like everybody who's being affected by this like any corrupt police officer. You know, other people in that didn't get arrested in this, like everybody's going to come after you. So you better make sure that you are airtight. Yeah. And he doesn't even flinch. Yeah. Doesn't even bat an eye. He's like, I am bulletproof. It it's easy to it's easy to have confidence in yourself if you've never faced adversity. You know, it's easy to believe you're infallible if you've never faced adversity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Harvey Dent, you know, Rachel's death is like the first time he's ever lost something. Lost exactly, like and, lost something that he could didn't think he could fix. Right? Yeah. Like, sure. In that in that trial scene, he doesn't get the guy he wants. The guy he wants goes free. That's a loss, but like not a loss that he doesn't think he can circle back around and, and do something about. Right. Right. Ra- Rachel dying is something he could never fix. Yeah. Ever. And, you know, his facial disfigurement is something that he will – they said they could try and do plastic surgery, but he rejects it. He's like, no. Like yeah. I I want people to see the person that is now inside of me kind of yeah. thing, um, which is so interesting. And he, you know, he becomes Two-Face uh, kind of playing with this idea of the duality of, of man, right? Yeah. The, I mean that's – The good and the bad side. So – Harvey Dent is is the is the man in this movie. You know, like he represents man. Uh, you have you have Batman who's God. You have the Joker that's devil, and you have Harvey Dent who is every man. And right. he's but they're bat and they're not only battling for the soul of Gotham, but it's all it's weird that it seems like Harvey Dent himself is is representative of the soul of Gotham in a lot of ways. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, it's, oh man. <laughs> yeah. Like if you leave it up to chance, if you leave everything up to chance, you know, um, I think that I think you do become like Harvey Dent, you know. And in the film, there's something really interesting with him, where like he has that coin, right? So that's very much built into Harvey Dent's identity is this idea of like chance. I'm going to flip a coin for it, right? And at one point, he says, "I make my own luck." And you learn a little bit later that that coin is actually a double, double head coin. So really, he's not leaving it up to chance. He's just making it seem like he is. And he's yeah. lived his life that way. Anytime he's flipped a coin, he's always known what the outcome was going to be. He's he's actually been taking things into his own hands, but giving people the other people the illusion that he's been giving it a chance. It's not until he's disfigured and loses Rachel that half of that coin is is marred, and now it is a true coin where it does have two sides. So now it is truly up to chance. And so it's interesting that we don't see actual. Uh, like probabilities of chance until after, yeah. Uh, he's he's made this turn. So uh, I mean, I mentioned this when we recorded last time, but uh, this whole film reminds me of this Cherokee poem, um, mm-hmm. which I can. It's short. You want me to read it? Sure. Yeah. So um, the tale of two wolves. One evening, an old Cherokee told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. He said, my son, the battle is between two wolves inside us all. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good. It is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, forgiveness, truth, compassion, and faith. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. So like Harvey Dent, Harvey Dent is coming up against a point in his life for the first time where he has to like deal with the other wolf. Mm. You know, like, mm-hmm. and we all have to deal with the other wolf. It's going to mm-hmm. be there until it, until we die. But the one that wins is the one you feed, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, I, I guess you could like say that, uh, that Batman and the Joker are each other's wolves, you know, mm-hmm. like, And, and Batman, for the first time, is coming up against, like, he's not able to beat the other wolf, mm-hmm. you know? And and the Joker, I think the Joker is over there going, holy crap, I can't believe that wolf exists, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like he's like, this is crazy. Like, I didn't even think this is possible that mm-hmm. there was the antithesis of me because that goes against my own philosophy. So... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's hard when we've done this before because it's like there, are, there are deeper things I want to talk about. I guess or like 
or uh, I don't know, it's resonating with me differently or on a mm-hmm. deeper in a deeper place than just like like last time when we did this, it was more like, man, I wanted to talk about how Harvey Dent sucked at acting or, you know, like stuff like that. But like, I don't know, man. I mean, the philosophy stuff in this film is like so rich. It's Mm -hmm. so rich. And, um, last time I brought up the, like, and, and, you know, you, you shared, so I brought up dogs, you know, and, um, and how there's like this dog motif throughout the whole film. And like one of the only things that can get through Batman's armor is dogs. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he's like, does it hold up against dogs? And he's like, well, you'll be safe against cats. You know, mm-hmm. um, he gets that bite in the early part of the movie. Like mm-hmm. Joker references himself as a dog that is uh, uh, trying to chase cars. He wouldn't know what to do if he got one, mm-hmm. you know, and then you see the Joker up there with a bunch of Rottweilers um, Harvey Dent refers to himself. He says, refers to the Joker. He says, "I don't, uh, I don't want to let, I don't want to get the dog. I want to let whoever, or I want to get whoever let him off the leash." Mm-hmm. You know. And uh, I don't know, man. I think that's there's something about dogs that I think also really, really reflect these two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a good dog is like almost like a reflection of how you would want God to be, you know? Uh, uh, I mean, it's, I've always thought it's interesting that God spelled backwards is dog. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I think that's intentional personally, um, in the grand design of things, um, because their love is unconditional. They're mm-hmm. loyal. Um, they're your best friend, you know, mm-hmm. but on the flip side of that, a rabid dog is, I mean, uncontrollable. Mm-hmm. and it can happen at any moment mm-hmm. you know it's, it is living chaos so yeah, yeah man uh it's interesting mm-hmm. it's interesting well yeah uh when we brought this up last time uh we because we touched on a little bit more of this idea of in our last conversation this idea of of order and order and chaos order and chaos and this idea of and we, like you said, we brought this up also in like the murder in the Orient Express uh, thing of this idea of yeah. people who are trying to impose control and, and order and balance to things struggle to maintain it and struggle to be happy because it's nearly impossible to achieve. Yeah. And there's a moment in this movie where Harvey Dent's in the hospital and Joker comes to see him uh, and – Harvey Dent has a moment where he's going to potentially kill the Joker. And the Joker appeals to Harvey Dent's sensibilities. The Joker knows Harvey Dent's about chance, right? Equal equal opportunity, equal odds, right? Things should yeah. be equal. The odds should be equal for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and Joker looks at Harvey, Harvey Dent and tells him, the thing about chaos is it's fair. Yeah. Right. And something that we mentioned last time, at least I brought up is like, I don't fully agree with that in a way where, because I feel like chaos and misfortune is disproportional, you know, inherently people's, mm-hmm. people's experiences in life are not equal. So chaos in a, in a way, while yes, doesn't have an, a specific agenda, is is 
isn't fair. That's like the whole point of chaos is that well, it's not it's, fair. It's just another paradox. It's right. It's fair and it's unfairness. It's fair. And it's unfairness. Exactly. It's, it's inherently imbalanced. Yeah. And so people will experience chaos in their life disproportionately. Yeah. I mean, to invoke order on this universe is kind of an, an almost arrogant task. If you, mm-hmm. if you think about it from the perspective of like, I mean the joke. I mean, you could say the Joker. Like, like mm. to want to invoke order is silly. It's laughable. Mm. Yeah, because there's no way, like, uh, in the infinite, ever expanding universe, that there would be a reason for order. Mm-hmm. It just, if there is order, it's by accident, mm-hmm. you know, or it's man's design and therefore man's flawed. Right. So it's like, it's weird, man. Like. I said this last time, it's really hard to like go into this conversation and not get to like a spiritual conversation, mm-hmm. you know, because, um, because if you go with the Joker's mindset, you, there's no hope, you know, there's no, like, mm-hmm. there's no reason for any of this. There's nothing to believe in. There's nothing to believe in, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, and, and so like, I, for me, it's like, okay, even if, like you, if you go macro, you have to eventually believe in some sort of grand design or there's no purpose or meaning to anything. Mm. Like it's all human assigned mm. and humans suck. So it's like, it's, it's really easy to fall into the Joker's mindset. Mm. Um, so for me personally, uh, I have to believe in a grander design mm-hmm. in order to have faith or hope, because if not, then, then there are no rules mm-hmm. other than the ones that society's put over us, which are all kind of bullshit. Well, yeah, to an extent. I mean, to an extent, yeah. <laughs> like, don't kill each other. I think that's morally probably better. Well, okay, okay. No, hold on. But, then, but, but no, we've talked about this a little bit last time. This idea of like justified murder, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, don't kill each other unless we decide to go to war for oil, right? Or, you know? or the whole. We even talk about like the whole argument of. If you could go back in time, would you kill? Would you go kill Hitler? And it's like, and if you don't, you're a like you're a bad person. Like, why wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah, but like, so here's here's a good. So I'm glad you brought that up because here's a good example of duality, right? Mm-hmm. So like um, Hitler, though he was a horrible, horrible person, and his actions were atrocious. His actions and studies actually, like some of his uh, doctors, led to. Uh, the creation of um, uh, pesticides that actually has essentially ended world hunger. Mm-hmm. Like Hitler, like by the transitive property, ended world hunger, mm-hmm. which is like weird to say, right? That mm-hmm. this horrible atrocity that happened caused something so good. Mm-hmm. Well, but, I mean, you don't, he doesn't, he, you know, you don't know, you don't know what your actions will lead to. You know what right. I mean? Well, I think a, a really great show that it kind of signifies this is the good place. Have you how much have you seen of the good place? I've seen like the first season, but that's about it. Okay. Well, but you know, the basic theme of uh, the yeah. basic pr- premise is that there is a point system in the good, in the show that they're saying the afterlife judges you by the net good, net bad of things you do. Um, yeah. 
And that net good and that bad on its surface is like, oh, yeah, okay, if I do more good things, I'll, I'll go to the good place. And if I do more bad things, I'll go to the bad place. But it, eventually it starts to become much more complicated than that because of unintentional, unintentional consequences. Yeah. Uh, a choice that you make that seems like a nice thing has unintended consequences that you have no idea are happening. Or, or and, if you make a good choice with ill intention – yeah, you know, sort of yeah, like Bruce Wayne here did yeah. with with Harvey Dent. Like, is that good? Right. Is is that is the moral corrupt underneath the action? Is the action all that matters? But also, like this idea of, and I think it's an interesting idea that you brought up about, like Nazi Germany and scientists from Nazi Germany be, being at the forefront of a lot of scientific discoveries. When in history do is there the most advancement in technology? And medicine, and uh, just a, a pro- progress in society. War, war, yeah, war. There's never any faster and more rapid progression on something than when you're at war. Yeah, which war is awful. War is terrible, but so many advancements in science uh, happen during war. And so that, and so like to guess frame everything in that. Like again, we're back to this notion that. So what's the point of doing anything, mm-hmm. right? Like if it's all just your bad actions lead to good and your good lead to bad, mm-hmm. how do you know that it's not – it isn't all chaos, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's so funny because I, I think our, our interpretations of this film really boil down to different types of people we are where yeah. your, yours is so macro. It's like when you expand it out to a certain point. There can only be a, a spiritual way to look at this in a way. Yeah. There, if if we have no idea on, on a on a bigger scale, if we have no idea what the net consequences of our actions are, why do anything? Well, yeah. it's because there needs to be faith and a hope that there is something bigger, something higher, something outside that is that guiding. is that is guiding it all. Where I – my interpretation is from is much more on a micro scale where it's kind of the opposite of yours in that you can only look at yourself. You can't look at the, the big of it all because you're right. It, it's too complicated. It is too, it is too big. It is too unknowable. All you can do is look at yourself and, and feel what's right for you, right? But yourself is also infinite. Yes, but you know what I mean, though? Like, it's like this idea. I mean, we even talked about this idea of grace in the murder on the race best, right? Grace is yeah. inherently a contradiction in that it doesn't make sense because you don't earn grace. You can't earn grace, right? Yeah. It's not possible. It is given to you regardless of whether you earned it or not. Yeah. And that is a weird thought. But in that same way, it's you can only do what you can do in life. You can only be the person that you can be. Like you can try and make yourself better, whatever your version of better is. And then hope that that was the right thing. Kind of like you were saying, hope that that was right. Well, that's what I'm saying. You eventually, all you can do is eventually just hope. Mm-hmm. Like you, 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 and this is all like, I, I had some, I grew up pretty Catholic. Yeah. Um, and my family is still Catholic. I've since moved away from Catholicism. I, I don't practice uh, I don't go to church. And a lot of my – some of my people I grew up with are like, why don't you still practice? Like why don't you go to church? Why don't you do this stuff? And I was like, because I don't 
personally, if if God, you know, again, because I grew up Catholic, if God's going to send me to hell because I didn't go to go to church, even though I live my life by his like philosophies and his morals and you know was a good person as least at least as far as i can tell if he's like oh but you didn't go to church every sunday yeah like that for me is like a, a something that's a really hard well line there for me yeah well that's so like, so we're getting into like now we're getting into like nit, like nitty-gritty like religion religiosity spirituality mm-hmm. and philosophy so mm-hmm. like Man, there's so much that we could just dive into on this. Um, But what I'll say on it is like I I also am similar um, in that like I I would not say I'm like a practicing like I don't go to church Christian. Mm -hmm. I I I want to be a Christian, Mm -hmm. And, and when I say that is like it's really hard for me to be one a lot of times because I disagree with so much of, uh, Christian culture. Um, and, uh, so like for me, I have a ton of doubt, right. Mm. But I choose to try to overcome that doubt. Mm. And, and so it's like a point for me to say, I am a Christian. Mm. Okay. Um, but that being said, um, if you like held my life up to, or another Christians, um, they would probably be like, this guy is, is not a Christian. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? The, or some would, I would say some would, but probably some would not. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I guess I, I guess I, uh, I can, so I relate to the Joker in that I can see, and, and I think this is what you're saying that you can see the ridiculousness in some of these things. Mm. Like, like you have to go to church every Sunday to, to for God to love you for God to love you. But here's the, here's the weird thing where it flips on its head. It's like, but then aren't you kind of making yourself God, you know, mm. like, aren't you kind of like saying that your beliefs are or what you think is the end all of law right and i don't think that's right either so it's mm-hmm. like it's it's this weird like cuz then you're like i'm batman i'm god i know what's good you know <laughs> or you're like the joker and you're like there's no god i can do whatever i want you know <laughs> and and so it's like I don't know, man, it, it, this is, this like for, in terms of like personal reflection, this is like one of my greatest like wrestling matches Mm -hmm. is like, um, cause I almost went into ministry, you know, I Mm -hmm. almost became a preacher. Um, but I decided that it was not a good idea to do that. If I had greater passions out elsewhere Mm -hmm. or I had doubts, I didn't want to be like on a podium lying about how I felt about things. Like mm-hmm. for me, truth is like very, very important. Yeah. And that's, and that's where it's a struggle because I think, like I said, the Joker, I think he is an advocate for truth. Mm-hmm. 
you know, but his truth, his truth. Yeah. It's his truth. And, uh, and maybe his truth isn't the only truth or it's not the ultimate truth. So yeah, I could go on mm-hmm. forever about this. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. We've already kind of like naturally dipped into like some self-reflection here, but is there anything specifically that you want to like pose as like a thought experiment or as a question or anything like that kind of in this time of us just kind of self-reflecting a little bit? Yeah, man. I mean, we're both comedians, mm-hmm. you know, we're both comics. Uh, I'm just interested to hear like, your perspective, Ricky, on like where you fall on this Batman Joker spectrum, you know, because mm-hmm. you're, you're a very hard line person. Mm-hmm. Um, you have lines in the sand that you don't cross, but you're also like, you enjoy antagonizing people. Like you mm-hmm. have this, like, like you like to turn things on their head and you enjoy the antagonizing of others. Like you will just choose the opposite end of an argument sometimes because you think it's funny or because you, you know, so I I don't know, man. I don't know. I just want to, I wonder like, I wonder your, your head space on like, well, there was a better question I asked last time, but I don't remember what it was. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What was it? I don't remember exactly, but I remember what the the idea of it was because it was very similar to this idea of like me touching on a little bit of the fact that like I am probably one of the most hyper filtered and controlled people that I know in that I very much place myself in a box and contain myself so I don't break this box, right? In that I don't like drink a whole lot, very rarely. I had a drink the other night though, actually, just one. But even then, it was very much like I'll have one. And I was like, I'm not going to have another one kind of thing. I I think I I somewhat remember what it it is. Mm -hmm. So it's like, do you think that – do you worry – do you worry that by putting so much – stringent pressure on yourself to follow these rules that by breaking them, it'll make you lose a sense of who you are. Mm. Do you like, have you created a, is your personality created by these structures and rules and Mm. what happens if you break them? Yeah. And, and I think I, 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 if I remember correctly, I said, I, I don't know because I have not broken out of the box yet in a way like we you know talking going back a little bit about my theme of like who are you in the face of adversity and who are who are you where is your tipping point right i have not met mine yet because i'm so careful i again i don't i've experimented very little with alcohol like i drink but extremely rarely and it's hyper controlled yeah you know i draw a line for myself even before i start drinking if I, if I do, I've never smoked weed. I've never done any type of hard drug of what whatsoever. Um, I don't have any tattoos. I'm a pretty, most people would say I'm a pretty vanilla person. Um, and part of that is the, some of those things don't interest me, but also part of it is a fear of the person I could be if I allow myself to be free in that way, because 
I think I have a scattered nature. I think a lot of people might say I'm scattered. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit chaotic at times. Um, as far as like the kind of person I am, but there are certain areas where I think accentuate chaos that I, and I know they accentuate chaos that I refuse to go alcohol, drugs, they accentuate chaos and, and everybody, you know, people yeah. don't get more logical when they're drinking. They don't get more logical while they're smoking. It always becomes more chaotic. And so for me feeling like I'm already so scattered and a little bit chaotic in energy, I'm afraid of what would happen if I allowed myself to be more chaotic, what that would be. And so I don't think it's like, I don't make it a part of my personality per se, if that's fair. Like, I don't think like my personality is, is I don't drink. Like I wouldn't say it's part of my personality. I know you would disagree. Well, not, I think you've grown out of that a lot because mm-hmm. I've known you a while now. Mm-hmm. But when I first met you, that was a part of your personality. Like, like you took pride in that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you've, I think you've grown out of that, but mm-hmm. like, I think, uh, and I used to do, cause I used to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like I liked the fact that I didn't drink and it was a, it was a, a pillar of who I was when I was mm-hmm. in, in high school and college, you know, but then mm-hmm. you do those things and then who are you, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, there's something I, I always used to say, don't define yourself by the things you don't do mm-hmm. because then who are you once you've done them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, at least again, maybe, maybe you disagree. I, maybe that's something I needed to psychoanalyze a little bit more about myself, but uh, it's, I'm, it's more that I'm afraid of what is underneath. Yeah. You're you know afraid of I mean? yourself. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, I am too. I am too. I mean, being a person is scary. Mm-hmm. It's scary to be people. Um, and, and if we're going to go back to the, the dog motif, right? Um, and we talked about this last time and I, I feel like since you brought it up, I would like to share it. Um, I, when I was about five years old or so, I was attacked by a neighbor's dog. Um, you know, it was a, I can't remember what type of dog, it was a large dog. Um, we, we were at their house. We were dropping uh, our neighbors off from school. We had carpool home from school. They went inside. My mom was talking to their mom. And I was just petting their dog, you know, out in the front yard. Um, and the dog turned on me, jumped on me and bit my face and tore up my face. Not this side, sorry, this side. Tore up my face to where like my nostril was like partially detached. Like he he, he pretty – he could have killed me. They were able to get him off. They rushed me to the hospital. I had reconstructive surgery. Um, and uh, so like to this day, I have kind of a – I love dogs. Don't get me wrong. I'm definitely a dog person, but I do have a very, I'm very hesitant around dogs, big dogs in particular and big aggressive dogs. If a dog is showing any type of, even sometimes little dogs, like mid-sized dog too, if they're showing aggression, I get very, very uncomfortable and scared. That's pretty, I mean, at a young age, that's pretty horrific. Like mm-hmm. an event like that is going to instill fear in you. Mm-hmm. And it, to a, a great, I mean, you're, you're literally getting eaten, mm-hmm. you know, like what's t- more terrifying as a child than getting eaten, mm-hmm. you know? And dude, I still, I don't, I don't know how much is this is, is actual memory and how much of this is like fabricated memory or, or just like, cause like 
I was fully potty. I mean, obviously, five years old. I was fully potty trained and, and stuff like that. After this attack, I had to go back into pull ups. I would I would wet the bed after yeah, after this attack. That makes, I mean, I don't doubt it. That's crazy. Um, so like, I ended up being pull ups for like another like year. So like while I slept because I would have nightmares. So like, it makes sense that like, mm. like it makes sense why if you have that much fear instilled in you. Mm. Right. And then, of course, you're going to approach the world from this perspective of fear, Mm. you know, and like, honestly, again, from a spiritual standpoint, like if there's no if there's nothing out there that's like a safety or, or, or something to provide hope, this world is horrifying. Mm. Anything could happen. Mm. You could die at any moment. Yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's how are you supposed to move through the world when you're literally anything could kill you? We're just like Mm -hmm. these, like these balloons just ready to pop, you know? And, and so like I'm 33 and I haven't yet. And I've spent most of my life worrying about it. You know, mm-hmm. why, you know, because if you really think about it, there's a lot to be afraid of. And that's where it's like, <sighs> that's where you get uh, to, for me, I got to hope there's something more, mm-hmm. some silent protector, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have to hope there's somebody that's not a hero. It's not a villain. That's outside of this going mm-hmm. guiding it you know mm-hmm. um yeah dude that's scary like i, I mean i mean I, I honestly ricky have knowing knowing you for as long as i have like that dog incident is such a huge part of your personality makeup i think you know yeah i think it is I mean, yeah. I also, you know, I, I suffer from anxiety disorder too. And like, mm. uh, I think that's, I think that's what makes us who we are is this instilled fear that mm. we have in us, but also the overcoming of that, right? Mm. Like you and I both hate it. I think mm. like we both hate how much fear we have. And I mean, I'm, I don't want to speak out of turn for you, but for me, most of our my life has trying has, has been trying to overcome that fear mm-hmm. and and prove that fear wrong, um, which I think is good. I think it, mm-hmm. it's it's what motivates us to do bigger things than than regular people. So it's almost like that fear is a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it it yeah it, it's. It's definitely been a th- part of my life, like this idea of what I'm afraid of. It's so weird because cer- it's weird because certain things I'm not afraid of at all. Like there are like there are some very strange things where I have no qualms about doing anything about you know like but performing. A lot of people have issues with like public speaking, pre- presenting in front of people. That's never been a problem for me. I've never like sure I get like you know, adrenaline and stuff like that. Like that's a natural thing, but like, I've never been afraid of getting up in front of people and talking or performing or doing anything. So like, 
Like one of the biggest fears that most people have is just non-existent for me. You know why I think that is? You know why? why? Because – so you remember when the pandemic first started mm-hmm. and then suddenly everybody is like anxiety-ridden and freaking out? Mm-hmm. I was calm AF. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. And it's because finally the world represents what we feel like on the inside, mm-hmm. right? So like we're in that heightened state all of the time. You know, we're worried about saying just one word wrong to somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, when we're on stage, the circumstances finally represent or reflect what we're actually feeling on the inside. So mm-hmm. it's like we have to achieve that level of performance because that's what we're always holding in, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that's why, uh, that's why we're, not af- we're less afraid. Mm-hmm. of those things yeah but when it comes to like per- interpersonal relationships yeah constantly afraid dude like yeah. like i i am thinking of like how like i exist within even within my like, own like house like yeah. how afraid i am sometimes to just like exist yeah yeah because like- i don't want to inconvenience i don't want to upset i don't want to make anybody mad so it's like maybe if i just make myself as unencumbersome as possible. Yeah. Like that'll make things easier. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it is a struggle. That is a struggle when you are so wrapped up in what other people think and expect of you because of your fear of disappointing Mm -hmm. them, um, that you completely, diminish your own personality mm. and we're, we're overcoming it, Ricky. Mm-hmm. This, this podcast is overcoming it. <laughs> uh, and just to answer your kind of your original question of like, where do I fall on this spectrum of like Batman versus Joker? Um, I think like uh, ideology wise, definitely fall, uh, fall on the Batman side. Yeah. Uh, way way further like a little bit more idealistic and naive when it comes to people um and 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 a little bit more hopeful when it comes to others but yeah i do like to that and a lot of that comes from like my family and stuff like that we we're an antagonistic family at least where i come from and there is a there is a sense of enjoyment out of having a conversation a heated conversation that really has no consequences yeah you it's know a little what I mean? sadistic. There's a there's a sadism in it. It's a little like but I, I don't know. But but you know, here's the thing though. <laughs> it's like a, a boring conversation is a boring conversation, but once someone gets heated, it's a much more interesting conversation. That like sounds, when people that sounds very joker esque to me. When people What's talk about no, when people talk but here's the thing, there's no consequence. There's no consequence to the to like whatever the conversation is. It, like when people talk passionately about something, it's way more interesting. Like like doing a podcast is like if we were just like talking like not like and we weren't really invested in what we were talking about, it'd be really boring. But like yeah. when you ca- when you care about what you're talking about, it's not, I have more fun in that conversation if I care about what I'm talking about and I am easy to provoke into a conversation. 
Yeah. Like it's really easy. Justin does this to me all the time. My roommate, Justin, is it's really easy for him to like poke in into an emotional response for me. Justin, he, Justin is, you and Justin have this similar, in your relationship, you're the Joker and Justin's Batman. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. I would say the opposite. That's interesting. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Um, but uh, yeah, so like, and I enjoy those conversations more when I'm passionate. So like sometimes I will provoke an, a more a emotional, honest conversation out of something that maybe is like superfluous. Yeah. Because I think that makes that conversation more fun for me. And I maybe and I, maybe it's unfair because like I think that some people don't like talking in that that's way. That's sadistic. Like that's what I'm saying. Like I think – Maybe I think it's unfair. I think that's what the jo- – I think the Joker – is bored. <laughs> I think that's what he's doing. The reason he does everything he does is because it's more interesting. You know, like mm-hmm. if, if like, otherwise he's just wallowing in his own, his own depression, you know? So mm-hmm. he's trying to do something that he enjoys. So I'll say I fall on the Batman side, but I'll vacation in Joker land every so yeah, often. We all like, do. I, I, that, 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 the first iteration of that question on this podcast was not a good, a good question. But the second – the the latter part I think was a better one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because we're all the Joker and, and Batman, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just – Well, that's the whole thing. It's, like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a battle between those two yeah. sides of, of – and, and it's not a – it's not a battle that ends like just cause your white wolf is full and healthy for a long time. That black wolf doesn't go away. It's, you die though. It's just, you die. we all well, die eventually. But what I mean is that battle doesn't end until you, you end. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're never going to beat your darkness. It's going to be there for forever. Like the battle is constantly going to be going on for, for until you, until you pass away. I think, I think, we said this last time and I think we should wrap up afterwards probably, but um, something, so like this duality, you have this dark wolf, like you're saying that doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. So what's important is that you find an outlet for it. Mm-hmm. And like people like, I think Stephen King, we said this, Stephen King is a really great example of somebody who found their darkness and then funneled it into the right place, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you're always going to have to deal with your duality. So find an outlet that is positive for your darkness. Mm-hmm. Find the white dot in your black, in your yang, mm-hmm. right? Find the, find the, find the, uh, the dark night, <laughs> you know, find, find your white night in your dark night. No, <laughs> you got to find, you got to find. So like there is always a darkness in the light. And there's always a lightness, a light in the dark, mm. you know? So, um, there is hope in the darkness. Mm. I think. And I think that's a good place to end it. All yeah. right. Thank you so much, Seth. Uh, let's talk about what's going on next week and, uh, what everybody can be looking forward to. So tell us, we got some special announcements for next week. Yeah, so uh, um, I think it's fitting. The next film we're going to do after The Dark Knight is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless <laughs> Mind. 
Uh, and uh, this was chosen by a good buddy of mine from work who's actually, uh, I would say, a film critic. Uh, he's uh, critiqued some films professionally before, uh, I believe for, I'll let him quote exactly next time, but uh, for the Wisconsin Film Festival or Milwaukee Film Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think he's an all-around guy who has really good taste in media. So uh, his name is Matthew Dwyer. Uh, he's a fellow uh, employee that I work with. And uh, he's going to be on the show next week. Wonderful. We're very excited to have Matthew on the show with us next week. So he's chosen Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, one of my personal favorite movies. uh, And I'm really excited to be able to talk with him about uh, (laughs) to get into some more funness. That movie is. is, This this is going to be. And Matt's yeah. got opinions, man. He is very strong in his opinions. So I'm gonna I'm gonna poke him. I hope you might have to because it'll be hard for me to. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna poke should. him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, everybody. So for next episode, we are gonna be watching Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. We'll have Matthew Dwyer on with us. Uh, so please continue listening along. Uh, we uh, are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so you can find us there. Uh, Give us a like, give us a share if you're enjoying our show, because uh, we want to start growing. We, I think we are hitting a, a good stride here. Um, yeah. So hey, can, please let us know what you guys think. Can I plug me? Sure, plug you. Uh, if you guys like this podcast and you know you just want to hear me talking to the void uh, for only 20 minutes, uh, check out the Crowcasts on uh, Spotify and Apple Music as well. Awesome. And I'm also going to plug my thing. Is that okay? Can yeah, I plug yeah, my yeah. thing? No, this, this is what we do. This is what we do. <laughs> uh, if you just enjoy Seth and I uh, and you want to see us do like some more, a little bit more performance and stuff like that, you can check out our Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Yeah. Uh, character Player, uh, our Ravenloft campaign uh, is also available on Spotify uh, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, so please go check us out. That is Character Player and we are it is our Ravenloft campaign. Uh, Seth plays uh, awesome character, and I play somebody too. <laughs> you have an awesome character too. Yeah, I mean, you're, we're playing. I mean, I don't know this, but we're playing kind of Joker, Batman archetypes. I think. Who's the joke? You're the Joker, and I'm Batman. Well, I'm the clown. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am playing a little bit more of a Batman as character. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But oh, yeah, uh, sorry. I, I I need to. I've I've with plugging my uh stuff i realize that people don't uh have a hard time finding it sometimes so uh let me say again it's the crowcast but it's c-r-o-w-e-c-a-s-t all one word crowcast yeah 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 not crow like the bird (laughs) crow like my last name yeah all right, so thank you so much for being with me today and re reshooting this, yeah. and recording this entire podcast. We went in a completely different direction. Yeah, yeah, so uh, funny. I'm, much I'm, more I'm, reflective in this one. I agree. I agree, uh, and I'm looking. I'm definitely looking forward to the next one. Maybe we should do our podcast twice every time. No, no, <laughs> nope, no. We are because then we'll have one where we kind of like stay like really on track, and the other one will just be like, "Whoa, they got real serious." Real fast. <laughs> I'll just decide which one to put out later. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for everybody for listening. Please continue to follow along. Again, like, share, let us know what you think. Maybe recommend a movie for us to watch. Maybe yeah, we'll check it out. Cool. Please. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, This has been the What's It About Film Podcast. We will see you next time. Adios. Bye.